Welcome to episode three of the MJ Sports Report podcast, our weekly podcast where we get together and talk about the local high school sports. I'm Evan Riddich, joined by my co-worker and co-host, Kyle Heim. Kyle, we're, I think, on like day 12 in a row of rain. We're, we're hoping maybe it clears up in time for, for the muscle team football game tonight, so that's not impacted. Not that it would get canceled, but just conditions, but... Kyle, how are you surviving the rain? I know we had a, a hot one indoors last weekend. Yeah, it's been kind of crazy. Been a little cooler here lately too, so busting out the hoodies. And I was gonna say, yeah, absolutely. I, I I'm able to wear my long sleeve uh, UMBC uh, Retrievers shirt, which I have barely been able to wear since I bought it. Obviously, you know, if you're not familiar, they're the team that upset Virginia in the 16 verse one in the NCAA tournament. Had to go buy one of their shirts because they're the Retrievers. Don't the bandwagon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, growing up, I owned uh, two Golden Retrievers. And, uh, you know, if you look at this shirt, like, it literally it looks like a Golden Retriever, even though it's not their actual mascot, Golden Retriever. But, you know, in my mind, it is. So I, I was all aboard, all aboard the bandwagon. And uh, we have a ton to get to today. First, I, I guess somehow I've made it two for two in covering double overtime football games this year. For deadline purposes, hopefully that streak ends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Muscatine football's game, their game ended about forty minutes after our scheduled print deadline on Friday, so that that was a good time. Please don't do that again to us, Muscatine. Um, yeah, so two for two covering double OT games. Um, we'll get to all the other area games. Obviously, a big win for Wilton. Uh, pretty important bounce back win for Durant and LM each. Uh, Chase Cruz and Mason Compton both both had big games. We'll get to that. Some volleyball, a little bit of swimming. Uh, you know, that, well, when I mentioned the hot indoor conditions, I think it may have been 150 degrees inside the pool where Kyle was covering Muscatine swimming the other day. And uh, yeah, but we'll start uh, like we usually do with this. Um, well, I guess after, after the recaps, we'll start with the recaps of last week, then we'll get into the previews for week three and just kind of look ahead uh, to the following week uh, of football here. And I think the, the obvious place to start would be Muscatine, Cedar Rapids, Jefferson, the week two matchup. The Muskies had a, a double overtime win, 40-37. to 37. You know, Kyle, I know you weren't there, but I know you were following. Just what, what are your impressions or kind of following this one? Where do, what do you, how do you kind of feel about Muscatine at this point in the season? Well, I, I was really interested to see how they would kind of respond after that 17-point win in the first week against Davenport Central. And it really appeared like that victory added a lot of confidence to the group. Uh, this past Friday, with how young the team was, or how young the team is, I was impressed to see them answer that go-ahead drive late by Jefferson in the fourth quarter with a score of their own forced overtime. And then to see them outlast Jefferson in overtime, holding them to a field goal in that second one, and then taking care of all taking care of business offensively. It's another big win for Muscatine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned that last drive. What was impressive to me is, you know, Tim Nimley, who they obviously rode the whole game. He had, I had him for 35 carries. They had him for 36. Carried the ball a ton of times. Had, had 189 yards or 199 yards, depending on if you're looking at my stats or their stats. But close 200 yards. But he gets injured on that last drive. Nothing serious, but he actually had to come out for a couple plays, and, and they don't miss a beat. Eli Gay has two consecutive runs Nice run, second one's a touchdown run. So, yeah, obviously a nice win from Muscatine. And, and you did mention, you know, the confidence they got from week one. Also, kind of the impression I got is maybe they were uh, 
maybe a little too confident, maybe kind of overlooking Jefferson a little bit. I'm trying to find uh, Tim Nimley's quote because he had a he had a pretty good quote to me after after the game. He said, you know, talking about Jefferson, we weren't ready for them. We were like, ah, oh, they lost last week, even though it was to a good Cedar, Cedar Rapids Kennedy team. So I definitely think maybe they weren't ready to play from the get-go. Obviously, they get behind early, you know, get down 7-0. They tie it up at 7 before half. You know, Brennan Burris gets an interception inside the 5 to keep it that way, or else it could have maybe been 14-7 to at half. But really, it was just an uphill battle the whole game. I mean, they get up 20-14 to 14 after a couple of uh, Carson Bordy field goals, which, you know, it's impressive that he's able to come back and hit two field goals like that after, you know, struggling in week one. But then uh, Ezekiel Leggins, who was somebody that, that Mueller identified as a guy they would definitely have to pay attention to, returns that kick, and the score is tied at 20 after a missed extra point. And then Leggins, again, scored the go-ahead touchdown with three minutes left. You mentioned it, Kyle, but you know when they get down with three minutes left, how are you feeling about about their chances at that point to go make a game a game tying drive? Well, with how young they were, I I, I didn't know what mm-hmm. to expect. Kind of how they would respond down late in the game, but really impressed to see Carson Orr and Eli Gay kind of marching down the field and get them into the end zone. Mm-hmm. And then they they started off overtime uh, real strong too. Obviously, the the first play of overtime as a, as a Tim Nimley 10-yard touchdown run, so they kind of carried that over. And then they they had Jefferson pretty much right where you'd want him. I mean, it was like second and 20, and they had to have a touchdown, and they, you know, sure enough, they throw a fade for a touchdown on like second and 20, which is a pretty pretty incredible play. You know, we had the double overtime. Uh, the Muskies did make a stand, force a field goal, and then the first uh, – First play, uh, they had the ball. Uh, Cooper Zeck caught a touchdown pass to win it on a play-action pass over the middle. Uh, Zeck, it's kind of funny. He only had three catches on the game, but I think and I think like 25 yards. But they may have been like the three biggest plays or three of the biggest plays in that game. Two of his catches were touchdowns. You know, one of them obviously the game winner in double overtime. The other one was a fourth down conversion on a drive where they they tied the game at 14. So big-time game by Cooper. Um, he's a guy that Mueller said that they do feel comfortable with going to um, in, in tough times. And one thing that really stood out to me, just from what Mueller said about him, is he had a great offseason, really changed his diet. Well, he said, changed his diet and got himself into just fantastic shape, which you hear about that sometimes in college a lot in professional. You don't hear about high school kids uh, changing their diets to, to get in, you know, the best shape they can. Kyle, how likely would you have been to, to change your diet in, in high school to get in great shape for a sport? Because I know I know that that was that was not my MO when I was in high school. I was still eating McDonald's and playing oh, basketball. Definitely. Yeah, I was on the swim team, so I ate whatever was pretty much. <laughs> I remember even having McDonald's before swim meet some days. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. That that's like the that's like supposed to be like the advantage of being a young high school athlete is I can eat whatever I want. So just to have the discipline to to change your diet like that, like that that's impressive to me. That that really stands out and that's awesome for Cooper to to see that he's having a nice start to the season. And Kyle, do you have anything else to add on this one or are we good to move on here? I think we can move on. We can move on to to Wilton versus Northeast. Obviously this one was pretty 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 one sided. Uh, Wilton wins fifty to eight in its home opener, two and zero on the season. Uh, you kind of mentioned it here. They're they're really deep on both sides of the ball. Kyle, what 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 were your impressions from this one? 
what you hear a lot about Jerome Mays, Colin Crabb, Corey Anderson, Brock Hartley, those guys, but then even another guy, Brian Stillman, stepped up Thursday night and just proved that he's another valuable weapon on that offense. Had four carries for 67 yards and a t two touchdowns, so didn't get a lot of carries, but definitely made the most of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And e even with his game, I mean, Jerome Mays, still a nice game. 71.4% of his passes completed, which is just, you know, uber efficient, especially for a high school quarterback where usually that's around 50% at best. 131 yards, three touchdowns. The thing that kind of stands out to me about Mays this year, his rushing hasn't quite been there like it was last year. I'm not sure it's needed to be just yet, but he hasn't thrown an interception yet, and that was like his one issue last year is he, you know, too many turnovers. And, and through two weeks, I mean – you can't ask for any more than that. I mean, zero interceptions. If, if Wilton doesn't isn't turning the ball over, I mean, that, that's a pretty tough team to beat. Yeah, and defensively, Wilton held Northeast to 155 total yards, including just eight yards rushing in this one. So they had seven different players on defense record sacks, combining for eight total in the game. They also forced four turnovers, two interceptions, and two fumbles. So this is a really deep football team on both sides of the football. Yeah, yeah, and this is a really good stat you pull here. Wilton actually lead, leads Class 1A in solo sacks with 10, so obviously the, the Beavers. And that's that's even with playing a Durant team in Week 1 with, with a really good offensive line, and we can get to them in a minute. But, you know, D Durant in Week 2, uh, you know, Mason Compton told me that, that LaFrenz had all the time in the world in Week 2. It was a great bounce back by the offensive line. And I think maybe this shows us that Week 1 – was less about Durant's offensive line not playing well and just more about the Wilton defense. Yeah. Any, anything else to add on Wilton, or are we good to move on to the Wildcats here? Let's move on. We've got Durant at North Cedar. This was a nice win for the Wildcats, 49-18 uh, after losing what, you know, what I just mentioned, a, a pretty close game to Wilton in Week 1. I think they really needed to win this one to get back on track. Uh, Bryce LaFrenz, a, a real solid night, throws 230 yards and four touchdowns. Mason Compton, eight receptions for 167 yards, three touchdowns. He also returned an 80-yard kickoff, and he also, which I didn't realize until I talked to him the other day, converted a two-point conversion. So he just did about all, all you could possibly ask for out of a wide receiver. It ended up being our prep of the week this week. I want to kick this over to you first, Kyle, because you're the one that's actually seen him play just briefly this week, kind of what what are your what were your impressions when you saw him play against Wilton and maybe you know him and LaFrenz, just the, the connection they have. They have a really good connection with each other. I know you mentioned your story; they've been playing with each other for a really long time. It's clear that they play really well together. Um, but I think I saw in your story that Compton said he was telling anyone who would listen that he was going to have a big game that night. Mm -hmm. So I covered their baseball game, first baseball game of the season, home game, um, in the summer. And he was telling me before that game that he was going to have a huge game. He'd get at least two hits. Mm -hmm. And he ended up with two hits, had a triple in that game. So Okay, so he's a little bit of a pro prognosticator <laughs> then. In interesting. Interesting. Well, yeah, you know, like you said, he... He actually told me that that game probably ranks, you know, football-wise, no, number one uh, in his life uh, for him. Um, the connection that he and Bryce have is definitely a big deal, I think. You know, like you mentioned, they've, they've been quarterback receivers since third or fourth grade. It's kind of funny. LaFrenz just told me that they, you know, he slot in at quarterback and Compton just went to receiver because that's where they thought they belonged. And, you know, clearly, clearly they were correct because both are still playing that position at a pretty high level. 
Um, Joel Diedrichs, Durant coach, really praised uh, Compton's route running. Gets open no matter what. Bryce uh, LaFren said that was his favorite thing about Compton is that he's always open and he always knows where Compton's going to be. A lot of explosiveness. A lot of explosiveness, yes. Mason's a very very fast kid, very quick kid. And you know, one, one thing that uh, that Coach Diedrichs had mentioned to me before the season is that he was hopeful that maybe they'd have some some other guys step up around around Mason. I know Wilcom had the big catch in week one. But really, I think nobody else has more than four receptions. So nobody else for a defense to really key on in the passing game but Mason. And he's still been producing, which is impressive to me. He, he mentioned a lot. You know, Mason did a lot of his work in the offseason. I know him and Bryce go run, run routes and throw to each other um, a lot on Saturdays, even during the season, which I thought was cool. You know, Mason said he went to a lot of camps over the summer to work, work on the route running to get stronger and all of that stuff, and clearly it's paid off. I mean, he at 297 receiving yards this year, he is leading Class A by, like, more than 50 yards. 12 receptions, he it's the most by a couple of receptions. And as a result, you know, Bryce LaFrenz is actually, you know, since I typed this, number two actually now in, in Class A in passing yards. Very close to number one, though. Um, Mason's nine-game pace, which I don't know if we expect that he'll keep up this pace or not, be a pretty blazing pace, but as of right now, if he did this for nine games, he'd end up with 54 receptions for 1,112 yards and 18 touchdowns, which would just be a crazy number. So it's been a heck of a start for him. And But also, he wasn't the only one that got on track. Um, Tristan Hughes, after just 23 yards on 10 carries a week ago, looked more like his old self. Uh, 15 carries for 82 yards and two touchdowns. Just overall a big bounce-back game for the Wildcats. Almost 400 yards of total offense. You know, Hughes had almost 12 tackles. I guess, Kyle, what what what'd you kind of think of the way Durant was able to to put this one away early and really bounce back after week one? Yeah, it was impressive. Um, like, on offense, last week against Walton, or the previous week, they were held to just 234 yards, but then they gained 398 against North Cedar. Um, and in addition to the strong play on offense, LaFrenz and Hughes were also great defensively. In this one, uh, Hughes had 11.5 total tackles, two of which were solo tackles for loss, and LaFrenz finished with 4.5 total tackles and two sacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, just an important win uh, for them. They, they told me as much, uh, LaFrenz, Compton, and Coach Diedrichs, when I was out there the other day and interviewing them all for Compton's Prep of the Week story. So just a nice bounce-back win for them, now one and one on the season. And we'll move on to, I think, the most surprising result in the area last week, even though it didn't turn out to be a win. Um, Solon won 7-0 against West Liberty in overtime. You know, yes, in overtime. So West Liberty shut out the number three team in Class 3A. that correct? Yeah. Number three team in Class 3A. They shut them out for four quarters, which, you know, if you paid attention week one, West Branch kind of had its way with West Liberty. So I don't think either one of us were expecting this result. Kyle, I know you maybe followed this one a little more closely than me because you were in the office that night. What? How, how did the comments do this? Like, like what? What in the world got into them? I was surprised. I was just waiting to see when big play would come, mm-hmm. touchdown, somebody would score. Um, thought it'd be Solon, obviously with Cam Miller and AJ Coons. They have a great connection. There. I know you said you had to even double check and make sure that Coons played in, in the game. That that's how yeah, good West Liberty defended. He didn't have a catch in that one, so. Mm-hmm. But he did record two tackles on defense, so he was playing in this. And he had had, I mean, 
find it here. Um, he had 152 yards receiving and three touchdowns in week one. Wow. So huge week, and they beat a very good Mount Vernon team, 34 to 14. I was gonna say, yeah, that's the thing is they, you know, they were a state semifinalist last year. They brought a lot of guys back. They beat, you know, West Liberty knows all about Mount Vernon. They they beat a very good Mount Vernon team, like you mentioned, by 20 points. And to only lose seven to zero, I mean, I know West Liberty clearly still has some work to do on offense, but just to compete and battle like that. That seems like a big step in the right direction for them. It's kind of funny. At, at the volleyball tournament I was at over the weekend, I overheard some West Liberty parents talking about it, and one guy just next to the comment, you know, seems like they really had a lot of, you know, fixed a lot of their defensive issues from, from the week before a lot better. And, yes, obviously, you hold one of the best teams in the state with one of the most explosive receivers and offenses you'll see to seven points. I mean, that's, that's big-time stuff from the defense, and, you know, we we said last week, even though they lost week one, we, we both still think this is a good football team. And I think, obviously, we both maybe feel even better about that, even though they lost the other day. Yeah, and to think that if they make that big of a leap defensively, if they can make a similar leap on offense, I know they only gained 100 yards in week one and 145 yards in week two, but they have a third-year starter at quarterback in Seth Felton, a lot of explosive playmakers at running back and wide receiver. Obviously, the offensive line's a question mark, but... They can make a leap like they did on defense this last week. They could be really headed in the right direction. Yeah, and I mean, just to play the schedule they have out of the gate, that's got to be an eye opener just for everybody. But especially all those new kids on offense, and they're you know every new every guy that's playing skill position didn't play much last year, so they're they're integrating a lot of uh, a lot of new pieces this year, and to get that experience against these two great teams, hopefully for them it isn't. A situation where it makes them lose any confidence, which I don't think it should. Especially again, they didn't score, but just the way they competed week one, that they should gain confidence from that. And just uh, if they can get that offense going in the right direction, improve around a good quarterback like you mentioned, Seth Feldman, they could definitely be a force to be reckoned with this year. And we can, uh, with that, move on to uh, GMG at Columbus Community. I know we were both. Uh, Pretty surprised by this one. We both picked Columbus. We both thought they had a good chance to win. But as it turns out, Kyle, uh, GMG's rushing attack was just far too much for Columbus to handle. Yeah, Columbus has given up 770 rushing yards through these first two weeks. So that's been kind of a killer for them on defense. Um, And then just offensively, they struggled again to do much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not much in the passing game to speak of. I mean, Chance Colby, 2 of 10 for 9 yards. He did have 25 carries for 115 yards. But really, that, that was about the extent of their offense. You, you look at the other side, uh, Brock Baldasso had 20 carries for 237 yards and four touchdowns for GMG. And then another kid, Blaze Cruel, had 111 yards on 14 carries. Uh, GMG forced three Columbus turnovers. It's just, it just kind of seems like the Wildcats have a long ways to go, which shouldn't be totally surprising, I guess, with, you know, we've talked about it over and over again, but they have... So many young kids on this roster, and their quarterback is a converted, you know, position player. So, I guess we shouldn't be too surprised, should we, Kyle? That maybe they have a long ways to go yet. Yeah, still a lot of room to grow, but I think they've had some success running the football. Uh, Colby, who was a running back last year, has gained 171 yards on the ground through the first two weeks, and Jaime Villegas has collected 100 yards, and that's just on five carries. So. I would think they'd try to get him more involved maybe in the running game and 
get that going a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of a great running game, we can move on to the Liza Muscatine and Van Buren, where, where the Falcons really just did whatever they wanted to on the ground, and just really just in general in this one. Uh, Chase Cruz had a big game, led Liza Muscatine to a 41-6 win. You know, mentioned it at the top of the show, but just a real nice bounce back win after a tough double overtime loss to Wapolo. Uh, Cruz has 213 rushing yards, which I'd have to check with his stats last year, but I wouldn't be shocked if that's a career high uh, for, for him. I'm not positive, though. 131 passing yards, and that's that's on the heels of, like, five. You know, what do you have, nine passing yards last week? What was it? Yeah, it, it was something less than 10. So they, I mean, they got a little bit of that balance back. Uh, Brock Jambi was his favorite target, two catches, 92 yards, two touchdowns. So looks like two pretty big plays. In that regard, uh, Kyle, just what what do you think when when you see this passing game kind of get back on track? Because we know that unless you're just unbelievable at running the ball, you have to be able to do a little bit of both at the high school level, which was what Coach Gabe told me before the year. When you see their passing game get back on track, does that maybe give you hope that the Falcons can can maybe live up to what we thought, maybe four four or five wins this season? I definitely think so. I mean, Chase Cruz proved a year ago that he could throw the ball. He had, I think, like 1,600 passing yards mm-hmm. last season. So he had a huge year passing the ball, and they opened up the passing game in this one a little more. Um, but still, just after attempting three passes in the opener, he, he threw it just nine times, again, against Van Buren. He completed five of those attempts for 131 yards and the two touchdowns. So obviously very productive with the passes he threw. But still very run-heavy offense. They had uh, 30 running plays to nine passing mm-hmm. plays. So. Mm-hmm. And you would think maybe as, as the season goes on, you, know, you already saw it a little bit in week two, the, the passing got a little bit closer to the rushing. I think maybe those two you know, play selections, are, the play calls are going to be getting a little bit closer. Not that it's going to be a 50-50 split, but... Maybe something like, you know, 65, 35, 70, 30, something like that. I think you will see some more passing from them as we keep moving on here. And now we're going to move on to uh, some volleyball. Um, I guess the first place we can start is the Muscatine Volleyball Invitational over the weekend. Um, Muscatine went 2-3 and three at, at the invite. Uh, they beat Minneapolis and Burlington. They lost to Williamsburg, West Liberty, and Central DeWitt. Um the Muskies played, this is a tournament that Tim Martin likes to play a lot of his sophomores in, and get. And so pretty much he played the whole roster. He played sophomores in a set against Williamsburg, in a set against Central DeWitt, and kind of mixed them in at, at other times throughout the day. And then you have West Liberty, who, you know, to me looked like pretty much head and shoulders the best team at, at this thing. They they win it five five and zero on the day to take first place. They're now ten and one on the season. Um, they're number three, number nine, excuse me, in the latest three A poll. I know a new one will come out today, so that statement may be outdated by the time you hear this. But just know the comments are ranked in the top ten of class three A. A real nice start for them. Um, this is actually all, all of this uh, per the West Liberty Athletics Twitter account. They tipped me off to this, so credit to them. But uh, the West Liberty is second in the entire state in kill efficiency at .401. Um, among players with at least 100 attack attempts, Martha Pace's uh, .604 efficiency is actually best in the state. Macy Dothell at .525 is second. 
So, you know, th- those two, you know, both underclassmen and both just, um, just really, really efficient with their attacks. And w- what stood out most to me, and I made this comment to Galavan, and I was taking photos. All of my photos of Macy Doffel, her head is like a foot above the net. She is just crazy athletic. I mean, her reach, she's got to have close to a 10-foot reach. I bet you she might be able to grab the rim on a basketball goal. She, she's very, very athletic. And so, obviously, you combine, you put those two up front. I mean, that's, that's a deadly attack. And then you've got Peterson and, and Macy Akers, uh, you know, kind of keeping the defense in check, make, making the passes. I mean, that, this is a tough West Liberty volleyball team. And then for the Muskies, you know, Kayla Schultz had a really nice day hitting the ball. Other than that, it was kind of hit or miss offensively. Um, defense and passing was good at times, but like Coach Martin kind of told me from my story, you know, things they did well in some matches just kind of completely left them in other matches. So maybe a little bit of that inconsistency that we saw last year from them. And then the top off uh, the week for the Muskies, uh, they were swept at Pleasant Valley the other night, which, you know, PV is consistently one of the top one or two teams in the MAC, so that's not totally surprising. Muskies are now four and four on the season. Kyle, kind of, what what were your impressions um, from from the PV game the other night? How, how did Martin feel like the Muskies played? Oh, you, you, I didn't, I, you didn't talk I, to him. I, I, I didn't know if you had talked to him or not. I, yeah, I couldn't get a hold of him that night after the match, so I, I'm not sure how he felt about it. But building off what you said about uh, Kayla Schultz. She entered Tuesday night with the Mississippi Athletic Conference lead in total blocks with 23 and added four to that total mm-hmm. in that match against Pleasant Valley. So she's really putting together a strong season, senior season there. And I think just some of that consistency or the inconsistency you talked about probably has some to do to do with all the youth on that team. Mm-hmm. Probably be some growing pains this season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's something that he, he kind of told me he hopes and expects will maybe get better with youth just – not, it's not necessarily just like the inconsistency with effort, but it's just like the inconsistencies of, you know, sometimes they're like really confident in themselves and you can see it. Like when they were playing West Liberty, they, they didn't really look like they, I don't want to say they didn't look like they belonged on the same court, but they, they looked like maybe they were a little wide-eyed in the first set. The first set kind of went quickly, but in the second set, Mustin really battled, really kind of, you know, dug their feet in and made the comments work for for just about everything here. And you, you kind of see that when you look back at um, the scores from the other night. Um, Pleasant Valley wins the first set 25-12, but then the Muskies, you know, 25-19, 25-21. So they, they definitely competed pretty well with PV over there. Anything else to add on, on that one, Kyle? I don't think so. I haven't actually watched them, but just when you look at their stats... They go to a tournament in Iowa City the other day. Um, their only loss was to Class 5A number two, Ankeny Centennial, and they uh, they they competed pretty well. I mean that you know that's a team that is competing for a state title in the biggest classification in Iowa, and Durant competes very well with them. Um, they're going to face a, a very tough Tipton team tonight at Durant. That one I'm not sure if we. I think Tipton will, is a top top five team. In their class, so I'm not sure if the Wildcats will be able to win that one, but you know, we expect them to maybe maybe compete, and maybe we'll that'll kind of tell us if maybe that Ankeny result, if if it was maybe a little fluky, or if it's you know the Wildcats are a very 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 good team this year. Kyle, what, what do you think about that? 
Yeah, I think they're really improved this year. They started the season with six straight wins. Four of those were in straight sets. Their only loss, like you mentioned, has been to Ankeny Centennial. So last year they went 14 and 21. They seem like a much better team this year, and it's just Coach Mark Lau's first year, so really impressed. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And then we can move on. We've got just real quick L&M volleyball. Um, I don't think we ever saw the result. Oh, no, we did see the result. They, they lost at uh, Iowa Mennonite School the other night. Um, we also know they went 1-2 and two at the Burlington Tournament over the weekend. So maybe still some, some room to grow for them. I know they're still a pretty young, pretty young, pretty inexperienced team. Mixing in some new pieces. Mixing too. in some new pieces. So we'll, we'll see what they look like. Again, I'll be interested in a couple of weeks maybe. I think we might be seeing a better, a better L&M, a better L&M, I almost said softball volleyball team and then we can move on finally kyle to your muscatine swimming a lot of young talent on that team kyle just kind of tell me about what you saw over the weekend it sounds like they had a pretty productive weekend following up a nice um appearance over in burlington yeah they got that dual win in burlington to start the season and then it just seemed like when i was watching that meet that freshman after freshman after freshman were going up to the blocks to swim. So I look back at the heat sheet and 74% of the Muskies entries were underclassmen. Um, Abby Lear stole the spotlight kind of. She won the 50 freestyle and 100 freestyle in her Muskie home debut. So mm-hmm. a couple big wins there. And then she anchored home that 400 freestyle relay team to a third place finish. So overall the team placed second and they got some nice contributions from the few veteran swimmers that they have. So, mm-hmm. a good start to the season. Yeah, and then just looking at your story here, I'm trying to find uh, Coach Judd Anderson's quote, but he, uh, it looks like the schedule is going to get tougher uh, for the Muskies over the next next week or two. What, what do you, what do you think maybe the expectation should should be uh, for a young team that's going to start facing some of the some of the heavyweights in in the MAC? Well, we saw Tuesday night they. They had to go travel to Bendorf, which has been one of the top teams in the MAG for quite some time, and they lost 147 to 39. Mm-hmm. It looked like Judd moved some swimmers into different events that night. To, mm-hmm. He likes to move yep. people. Judd, Judd likes to move the pieces in the puzzle. That's one thing I have learned in in my year of covering him. And I mean, I think that's a good idea, especially with all the young swimmers on there trying to find their best events, which events they best fit with. So. Mm-hmm. Yep, and, and as Judd said, it's going to be an interesting, entertaining type of year. Gotta gotta love Judd Anderson, man. He is always always great with the quotes, always a fun a fun guy to talk to. And then, you know, we thought we were gonna have some musky golf uh, to bring you. Unfortunately, they were supposed to play at Clinton yesterday. That was canceled. If you look outside, you can guess why. Been raining like crazy here. And then Musk Team Cross Country, they just can't they just can't get a meet in. They were supposed to to run at the Pleasant Valley Invitational on Saturday. That was canceled. Then they were supposed to run uh, today at Cedar Rapids, um, which is a big meet, like a 20-team meet, uh, but they canceled that one. I think that was more due to course conditions. It sounds like it was just kind of a, a mud pit up there, which is unfortunate because, like I said, that's like one of the bigger races in the area, 20 teams. So really not, not anything to report on them. It's unfortunate. It's kind of... Kind of like uh, last spring, um, there with track. with track, it's just you know, 
tough for for these runners because they just haven't run now for over a week and they've only gotten one meet in uh, the muskies have if i'm not mistaken in like the first two weeks of the season and even that one the weather was terrible yeah even that one you know yeah like you said on last week's podcast i mean it, it was hot it was humid it was muddy i mean that that just sounds like um you know to me running already doesn't sound like fun and then you add all of that not just doesn't sound like a great time we did, however, have a couple of area teams that have had a chance to compete this week. They were able to squeeze some races in around the weather. Uh, Kyle, I can just kick this over to you. I know you followed followed that one a little more closely. We had a Durant and a Wilton at the Tipton Invitational, I guess. What, what kind of stuck out to you about that? Yeah, there were a few teams in action at Tuesday's Tipton Invitational. Uh, the boys race, Durant had... The, the Durant boys had the highest finish. They were fifth in the team standings among 14 competitors, so nice placement there. Bolton um, was 10th, and uh, West Liberty didn't have enough runners to register a team score. Durant's uh, Jake Boss was the top area runner in that boys' race, finishing 12th overall in 18 minutes, 35.6 seconds. Haven't seen Bolton's buddy darting race yet. He was state qualifier last year finished in the top 10 at the state meet so do we have any idea why i, I have no idea why so hmm. we'll and check with we'll and coach nick norman to see yeah i might have to might have to check up on that because yeah that would be a uh, if he actually is injured and is slowed down a little bit this year that would be a pretty big loss for wilton like you said state qualifier i think we expect him to be one of the top one or two area runners uh this year so obviously that that'd be a big time loss and you know, unfortunately, that's really all we have to bring to you cross-country-wise. Hopefully, um, we can maybe get some sunny days next week so some of these kids can uh, get some more races under their belts. And with that, we can move on to uh, this week's upcoming football games. We'll start with uh, tonight's game. If you're listening to this on Friday, I'm sorry, it's already dated. And um, We've got Muscatine at Davenport West, technically at Davenport West, at Brady Street Stadium. Uh, Muskies enter this one 2-0. Davenport West, uh, one and one. They haven't played each other since 2013 uh, for a ditch conference play for district play in 2014. So that's why they have not played. But they did actually play over the summer in camp, so they are familiar with one another. Uh, West went one and eight last year. I know they do have a strong junior class. Off to a one and one start this year. Kyle, just what what are you kind of looking for in this one? I know Muscat team wasn't really happy with the way they played the other day, so maybe they're looking to play a cleaner game. What are you expecting from the Muskies tonight? Well, I think they play better in this one. Um, I think Cedar Rapids Jefferson probably a tougher opponent than what they'll see this week in Downport West. They obviously started strong, played well at Brady Street Stadium in week one, but Clinton really had no trouble with Davenport West last week. They won 34-9, mm-hmm. rushed for 197 yards in that game. So Tim Nimley probably expecting to have another big game. I know he's had 59 carries in the <laughs> first two weeks. so. Yeah, it's funny. M- Mueller told me, he's like, I, I had no idea he had you know, 35, 36 carries the other night. But also, he, he said, you know, not too often in a high school football game do you run 95 plays on offense. So I think that's, that's why that happened. I wouldn't expect Nimley to get up around that many carries again unless it's like absolutely necessary. I do think they will try and lighten that workload. He was pretty pretty sore after, after that game the other night, we will say, but he seems perfectly fine this week now. And it actually is kind of funny. Um, I asked Mueller about playing another Thursday game because they've started their season, you know, Thursday game, so they didn't have a normal week then. 
And then Friday last week, so I did have a normal week last week, but then they go into like double overtime. Game ends at 11.30. So you add that onto an already short week Thursday. They were in the film room or, you know, in the swimming pool, you know, recovery stuff at 7.30 in the morning on Saturday. So they were up there seven hours later and then no school on Monday for Labor Day. So they really haven't been able to establish a routine. I'm not sure that's really going to affect them because, like I said, they haven't really been able to establish. They've just kind of been doing what they've had to do these first two weeks. But I just think it is kind of interesting. And Cooper's, I talked to Cooper's egg before the first week of the season just asking his thoughts on playing Thursday night games. He said it doesn't make school fun the next day. Yeah, 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 because these, these kids are used to being able to uh, to rest up on Saturday instead of having to sit through class on Friday. So, yeah. It is interesting. They have two and three weeks. After this, though, they will play Fridays the rest of the year, it looks like. Um, For me, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I do think the Muskies will play better this week. Um, Mueller is looking for maybe some more physicality, better execution. He basically told me, you know, there's at this point, there's no excuses uh, for missing assignments, any of that stuff. So I sounds like he, he doesn't care, you know, sophomore, junior, senior, however much experience you have. We're in week three. You better be doing things the right way, doing what we want, basically. Um, they are going to get tested a little bit up front. He told me that Davenport West has a much bigger line, offensive line and defensive line, than these first two teams they've played. So, I mean, if you're looking for a test of physicality, you probably couldn't have asked for uh, a much better one in week three. Um, our, our friend over at BC Moore Rankings has Muscatine as, like, a 33-point favorite. I'm not sure if it's going to be – that lopsided of a game, but I do think the Muskies win this one uh, fairly comfortably. And before I kick this back over to you, Kyle, just real quick, um, after two weeks of predictions, I am eight and two, Kyle seven and three. So still, still cling to my one game lead through uh, through two weeks. Don't get too cocky. <laughs> what are you? You, you, you said you expect Mustang to win this one. That's your official pick. Yeah, yeah, I think they continue the strong start to the season, improve to three and zero, and then. Before that schedule toughens, starting with Johnson next week. Yeah, so. it will get much tougher for Muscatine next week. But for now, we're but we're both uh, in agreement. Three and zero start for the Muskies. They did that in 2015. So you know, a couple years since that's happened. So re- real nice start potentially to the season for them. We'll move on to uh, Wilton. You know, Wilton obviously two and zero playing Mid Prairie, uh, who's zero and two. Both of their losses are by two or more touchdowns. Um, they have, they're, they're fairly balanced, but they don't really have any weapons that stand out to me. Nobody with over 200 rushing or passing yards yet. So they haven't really shown a ton of offensive firepower. Um, defense has obviously been vulnerable. They've given up you know four or more touchdowns both games. Um, Mays has over 200 passing yards, uh, three touchdowns, no interceptions, like I mentioned earlier. Um, 93 rushing yards, three touchdowns. McCrabb has been solid this year. You know, 244 rushing yards, two touchdowns. Their defense has four, six turnovers, so they've really done about all you could expect through the first two weeks. Kyle, we, are we both in agreement here that, that we're thinking Wilton's going to be looking at 3-0 and after three weeks? Yeah, I think Wilton keeps on rolling this week. Uh, Mid-Prairie's been prone to turning the ball over this season, too, with four interceptions and two fumbles through those first two weeks. Wilton's coming off a performance where it forced four turnovers against Northeast. And mid, like you said, Mid Prairie's lost both of its first two games by two or more touchdowns. 
and I think that trend will continue mm-hmm. this week. Yep, our friend at BC Moore actually has uh, Wilton in about 25-point favorite. I think that's about right where I'm at. I'm going to take Wilton by about three touchdowns. And then uh, we will move on here. Uh, Tipton at Durant. You know, like I kind of talked about week one, that I thought Muscatine's matchup with Davenport Central was kind of a benchmark game. I kind of think this is the same thing for Durant. You know, Durant coming back off of a nice win after following a week one loss, excuse me. Um, they're one and one on the season. Tipton's two and zero. Oh, both of those wins by double digits. Tipton was four and five last year, very similar to Durant. They actually actually played last year, um, fifteen to six. Tipton win. The Durant defense was obviously very good in that game, but Lafrenz kind of, you know offense struggled obviously. Give you only score six points, um, two interceptions for Lafrenz, only forty three rushing yards um, for Hughes. Uh, Durant had a couple of fumbles in that game. I guess, Kyle, this one looks to be kind of a toss-up, maybe one of the more questionable games in our area this week. What are you looking for out of the Wildcats? Do you think they're able to get it done this week? This should be another good test to see how much Durant's progressed over the past year. I think stopping the ground attack will be key for the Wildcats in this one. Tipton has four players who have rushed for over 100 yards already this season, and Durant, on the other hand, has given up 203.5 rushing yards per game, so I think that'll be a key there. Um, but still with an offense that's capable of exploding at any given moment. We saw that last week with LaFrenz, Compton, Tristan Hughes. I think Durant gets the win at home and mm-hmm. improves to 2-1. Mm-hmm. I do think this is where we kind of see a, a, a bigger Tristan Hughes game, maybe. And uh, you know Durant, uh, B.C. Moore's got him at about 12-point favorite. I think it's going to be even closer than that. I think you know may, maybe a field goal or touchdown is all that separates these two teams, but I do think um, Durant will ultimately come out of this with a win, and we, and probably we will be thinking after that one, you know, okay, the improvement from last year to this year this year was was pretty real um, for Durant, at least so far. And then we can move on to our next area game here. We've got um, Wapolo playing Northeast. Um, Northeast is allowing 257 rushing yards per game. They've been outscored 84-26 through their first two games against Comanche and Wilton. That seems like... Um, Perhaps a perfect recipe for Ricky Fortz to have a big game, Kyle? Yeah, I expect Fortz to kind of go off in this game. He's already had 266 yards rushing and three touchdowns through those first two weeks. So I think this will be one of those games he circles on his calendar and looks forward to. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned here in our notes that the Wapolo defense does need to be better. They've given up an average of 359 yards and 38.5 points through two weeks. Haven't forced any turnovers. That'd be the biggest thing that sticks out to me is that they definitely need to start forcing uh, some turnovers. Um, to me, this is probably the biggest toss-up game in the area. I know B.C. Moore, who I'm, again, going to be referencing a lot on the show this year, he he sees it that same way. He has Wapolo as a one-point favorite, so I think he gives a point for home field. So this one, let's see, that one's at Northeast. So he has Wapolo basically two points better on neutral field. This one's going to be a very close game, a, a big-time toss-up. Maybe this could be one where you make up a game on me, Kyle. Who, who are you picking? Well, I've kind of gone back and forth on this one. I've, I've waited until now to decide, I guess. Um, I think Forts showed week one, kind of led Wapolo to that double overtime victory on the road at Wise Muskeen. I think he can help push Wapolo over the top of this one, too. Mm-hmm. So I'll pick Wapolo. Well, you mentioned you hadn't decided until just now. That, that's why I asked you first, so I could have like that extra five seconds to decide. I think I am going to go with Northeast. 
only because this game is at Northeast. That, that's my tiebreaker here. I, both of these teams look to be pretty equal to me. Northeast is at a very tough schedule to start the year, so kind of hard to judge them on their first two games. This is going to be such a close game. could really go either way, but I'll go with Northeast. Um, yeah, and we'll see how that goes. Don't feel great about it. This should be a really interesting game. Um, next on the slate here, we've actually got West Liberty um, against Anamosa. After playing the number two team in Class 1A and number three team in Class 3A in Weeks 1 and 2, the schedule finally lightens up a little bit for the comments at home this week. West Liberty won this game 36-14 when these two teams played last year. Obviously coming off a tough loss to Solon. Um, they're winless through two weeks, 0-2. Kyle, you got to figure they're going to be hungry to, to get their first win of the season this year. Yeah, and I think they made a lot of improvement last week, so I think they take another step forward. Um, this game I don't think will be a walk in the park, though. Anamosa won its opener at Makokita and lost to Regina by less than three touchdowns a week ago. Really good Regina team, so I still think West Liberty, though, takes the next step and gets that first win. Mm. I tend to agree with you here, even though Anamosa, again, is a pretty solid team. You mentioned here in the notes that they – they played Regina, uh, you know, they lost by less than three touchdowns, so by definition of Iowa High School Athletics, that is considered playing Regina close, but I do still think this is kind of the week where West Liberty gets back on track and maybe show, you know, other people in the state who only see their 0-2 that they're probably one of the best 0-2 teams in the state at this point in the season. So we both got West Liberty here, and then we move on to our final game, um, Loiza Muscatine at Columbus. Kyle, you're, I know you're going to be out this one, so what are you kind of lo- looking for in this matchup? A lot of running, I think, <laughs> in this one. Um, Falcons lead all Class 2A with 642 team rushing yards through the first two weeks. Junior quarterback has contributed 314 of those, the fifth most among any player in 2A. There's certainly a run-first option, opting for 85 running plays to just 12 passing plays through the first two games, and I think that trend's going to continue against Columbus Mm-hmm. a Columbus community team that's allowing 385 rushing yards per game so far. Yeah, I you know, I mentioned earlier that I do think that they're going to trend more towards a more balanced attack, maybe passing and rushing. Otherwise, the Muscatine, don't think that's going to start this week. I think it's going to be run, 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 and I don't think Columbus will be able to stop them. I, I see the Falcons winning this one pretty comfortably, I'd say, by probably four or five touchdowns. I just don't think... Columbus has the guys up front to stop um, the rushing attack. I mean, the, they just have so many options. You know, you've got Chase Cruz at quarterback, Carson Cantrell. You know, Cody Calvich can run the ball. Just just all those guys. Max McCauley, I mean, they, they've got a ton of options running the ball, and I just don't see any way Columbus slows that down after what we have um, seen through two weeks. Yeah, last year, L&M won 30-8 in Columbus Junction. They're back there this week, I think. See a similar result. LM may even win by a bigger margin. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, I think it's going to be a pretty similar result, maybe a slightly bigger win for LM because I don't think this Columbus team is quite quite as good at this point as they were last year when these two teams played. And Kyle, unless you've got anything else to add on this one, I think that'll do it. Yeah, I think I'm good. All righty. Well, that'll do it for us today. Um, you can follow me at Evan R. Riggs on Twitter. Kyle is at Heim Kyle. Um, I'll have all the tweets for Muscatine tonight. Um, Kyle will have them all for uh, LM Columbus Community tomorrow. Um, and, and you guys are always 
more than welcome to tweet us any area score throughout the night. We'll retweet. Um, you can you can follow us um, also at the Mustang Journal Sports Twitter account. That's where all of our stories go at mjournal underscore sports. If you don't already. Um, We'll be back next week to look back at Thursday and Friday's football games as well as all the other area sports and preview what should be a very exciting week four. Thanks so much for listening.